0: This is the Anatomy of a Scream Pod Squad Network. Hello everybody and welcome to another episode of 28 Days Later. I am one of your hosts, Sophie, joined as always by No, I'm really out of practice. I didn't even look for a good word. Oh boy. Oh boy. Nope, I got nothing. By my sister Hannah! (laughs) I was I was really trying to look at everything on my desk to try to get a word, and I was like, I have a card for the struggle bus. I have a book called Punching the Air. I was like, none of this is gonna work.
1: Oh god. Where we got on the call. Um, I called you and you thought that I was maybe a little drunk cause we had, I had been at the, at lunch with our mom and I was like, I'm not that drunk. I'm just excited and obnoxious.
0: I got a text from our, I got a text from our mother at 4 PM saying we're now in fairness, my mom and Hannah were up incredibly late last night. It's a long story, but my mom was traveling. She got to my sister's at like three or four in the morning. So they four slept late in the morning. Yeah, but I got a text from our mom at 4 p.m. That's like Hannah and I are just finishing up one more mimosa at our late brunch, and I was like, "Bitch, it is dinner time." <laughs> <laughs>
2: uh,
0: but Hannah and I are joined by a very, very special guest, uh, and I didn't ask our special guest up uh, at the front of the show. Uh, do you want to be referred to by your name or by your podcast name?
2: Let's let's do my podcast name if you don't mind. My my continued. Uh... Quest to make sure no one at work finds out about this thing.
0: I love it. It's like you're you're gonna be our first superhero guest. Everyone, say hello to Thor.
2: Hello, everybody! I am so excited to be on Twenty Eight Days Later. This is one of my favorite podcasts. This might be my favorite podcast that's not my own podcast.
0: Oh <laughs> wow! I mean, we do know that it once made you laugh so hard you had to pull over your car. That's honestly the biggest compliment <laughs> we biggest could ever compliment.
1: get. Yeah.
0: I'm honored. I'm honored. <laughs> um we're going to keep the intro short this month and by keep the intro short we mean we're going to skip it entirely because we have so much to talk about I'm guessing with our movie for this month. Um Hannah and I have talked about covering the 2016 Ghostbusters film since before this podcast started. I was say, sort I feel like we sort of
1: had it that might have been like one that we were initially like partially setting this beginning this podcast
0: like to cover. Right, right. And it's just been like on our list of movies. Um and it just sort of came serendipitously that Thor This past week sent me a text message to say, Can you please send me a picture of you dressed up as Holtzman? uh, Because that makes me happy. So I did. And I was like, Funny, you should text me because I actually just got a tattoo of Holtzman while I was home for Christmas. And I immediately called (laughs) Hannah and I was like, We got to cover Ghostbusters. That's what we're doing for January.
1: you were like, the stars have aligned, it is now, it's the time.
0: <laughs> it's time, and honestly, like, with Omicron, I really needed this movie. I Like, I needed to re-watch this movie, and I didn't even know it. Fair. <laughs> so, well, Thor. let's start with you. Tell us a little bit about your experience with this movie, uh, and give me kind of your overall impressions.
2: Um, so, I think, um... This movie did a lot to help me become a better feminist to be honest because um, people's reactions to it like before it even came out made mm. me sort of realize how like sexist people were in a way that I think hadn't actually uh... how
1: much people hate women
2: yeah, exactly In a, in a way that as a as a man I hadn't had to deal with until you know something that I was so excited about was getting trashed just because it started women mm-hmm. And then I saw it, and I absolutely loved that I saw it at the drive-in, which was exciting. The, uh, oh. ca- yeah, the, the Cascade Drive-in, which is unfortunately closed now, but um, it was it was super fun, and um, it was funny because you could see people, um, leaving and then stopping once they saw there were post-credit sequences.
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's delightful. Um, Hannah, you and I saw this together, so why don't you tell the folks a little bit about your experience with this movie and what you, what your overall impressions are.
1: Mm. mm mm uh-huh. I just put my hands together in a prayer-like position to, like, think <laughs> about the experience of seeing this movie in theaters. Yeah. I, like, especially I am somebody that really enjoys the Ghostbusters movies, but I was, in, by no means was I, like, obsessive. Um, the first Ghostbusters movie was partially responsible for one of the most, like, <laughs> scarring experiences of my entire life. That I like still, essentially, when I was a small, small, little baby,
2: <laughs>
1: watching uh, Ghostbusters, which was a great decision on our parents' part. Um, my mother, yeah, because you, right be like like you had to be like
0: two. You had to be like two. Maybe three, max, but probably two.
1: Probably I was two, and we were watching Ghostbusters, and when the librarian ghost... I recall, and this might just be embellishment of me being two years old, and like how I remember it was that soon after the librarian ghost freaked out, it, the power went out in our home. Oh, my God. And we and, were watching it in the basement. And we were watching it in the basement, and Sophie and Ryan left me they didn't think twice they ran <laughs> up the stairs and disappeared out of our friggin basement in the pitch black they left their two-year-old sibling to be eaten by the librarian ghost, and i was trapped in the darkest of dark in our basement until our mom could like i can't remember if it was our mom or our dad but one of them had to like find their way to me through like toys and things in the pitch black but oh it was
0: it was definitely mom because okay I thought so I thought it was mom not that this makes it okay but to our credit Ryan and I if you were two that means Ryan was four and I was I was six so we were also small so it's all Sophie's fault we did go straight to mom and we (laughs) were like mom Hannah's in the
2: basement. (laughs) (laughs) Due to circumstances we could not control, she's in the basement alone.
1: Yeah, she's in the basement alone, and somebody needs to do something, and it will not be us. (laughs) (laughs) Um. Yeah. So, anyway, I have always enjoyed the Ghostbusters, but I was not by any means like a diehard fan. But then when I heard about this movie, I was so excited because I love everybody in it and everybody involved in it. And then especially with the added, you know, the, the added toxic masculinity, shall we say, that showered over it. I was like, mm-hmm. now I'm even more on board. And I just remember, like, leaving the theater. I was, like relatively sober and I left that theater feeling like I had just done like crystal meth, but like in a really good way (laughs) (laughs) because I was just so jacked up. Like I felt so energized and invigorated and, and Sophie and I both had a similar feeling. And I remember saying to Sophie, I was like, I just don't think I've ever had the experience of seeing a movie before Mm -hmm. where I really felt like it was made, For me, or like not even that so much as like the the women in this movie, for the most part, the fact that they are women does not factor into the story like nearly at all, with the exception of what they added in to like reference all the trolls. Mm -hmm. And like that was so unbelievably refreshing to me. Like I left the movie theater and I was like, is that what it feels like to be a man?
2: Mm-hmm. Like, this
1: feeling of liberation and freedom and, and like, power from just, like, going to see a piece of media. Like, is this how, like, men feel in the world?
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, so H- Hannah sort of hit the nail on the head. She and I saw this movie together with my fiancé and our brother. Um, and I remember so vividly that during the scene where they're fighting all the ghosts and it goes into slow motion and Holtzman licks her gun Hannah and I just both look at each other like tears streaming down our faces and held hands like Mm -hmm. it was just like I'm getting goosebumps just talking about it just like Hannah said I had never had a movie make me feel that way and so Like, I'm so glad that we're taking the time to appreciate this movie because I think, unfortunately, which we've all alluded to, so often the discourse about this movie gets mired in the gender politics of the response to this movie. They have nothing to do with the movie itself. Um, Mm. And that sucks. And it was really heartbreaking for me. And I don't say this to throw shade at all. um, But anyone that knows me knows that I was really angry when Wonder Woman came out and people were like, finally a movie for girls. And I'm like, no, Ghostbusters did it first. It's just none of you fucking assholes watched it because you're a bunch of misogynist dicks. Like, I'm so she said, angry. She said no shade. And then she said that. No shade. What I mean is no shade to Wonder Woman. If Wonder Woman is really meaningful to you as a female viewer, I don't want to take that away from you. But also, I would encourage you to maybe watch Ghostbusters. Uh, it doesn't have to be better than Wonder Woman. I'm just saying, if you want another movie that might make you feel that way, Ghostbusters yeah. did that for me. And I was just really sad. Well, and not to, you know,
1: like, dig that point into too deep, but also so many people felt that way about Wonder Woman. And then I watched Wonder Woman, and I was like, that whole scene of her, like, basically, like, taking off all of her clothes on the battlefield yeah. and stuff, I was like... This was the movie that you were like, "Wow, this movie! I finally feel seen," because I was like, "I don't feel seen by that. I don't look like that."
0: <laughs> also, the movie where like it opens with a bunch of really badass women, which is great, but they're all like super skinny and jacked, wearing very scant clothing and heels. So like, yes, and the female director
1: of that film literally said in an interview that she insisted that the that the Amazonian women wear heels because in her mind. Like a powerful woman is in heels. Which, again, is
0: fine. It's just not, it's I'm not just doing. Saying, for... It's not
1: as all encompassing.
0: Yeah, it's not doing for us what Ghostbusters is doing. Is that fair to say? Because I think it is doing that for some people, and that's totally fine. That's just, it's not doing that for me. Thor,
1: what do you think? Do you think it's fair? <laughs>
0: <laughs>
2: do you think our
1: critique of this kind of feminism. In these um, movies, is fair. I think.
2: I think as the as the the man here, I should obviously have the final word. Um, uh, I, I I do think that feminism is a big tent, and I I think that um yeah, Wonder Woman, I agree, isn't as like inclusive because, like you said, it's all models. <laughs> but um, I do think for the whole like. I think for for women who play, like, young girls who play sports, they probably get a lot out of Wonder Woman vindicating that, you know?
0: For Mm -hmm. sure. Yeah. Yeah. So enough, again, I don't have any disrespect for Wonder Woman. I just was sad that it it got such a, like, massive uh, uh, swell of media about how positive it was for young women and girls when it felt like that didn't really happen with Ghostbusters because yeah. of what came before.
1: It didn't feel like people showed up for this movie in the way that we were hoping that they would. Right. Right. Especially after we saw it and we had such a good time we were like once people see this then it's going to change the conversation. Mm-hmm. And I imagine we'll get to that Sophie,
0: Right. Yeah. Oh, we're going to get to all kinds of things. Okay. Um, I, gonna, I went down, I went down so many rabbit holes. I'm just going uh, <laughs> to warn the guests and the listeners that I did so much homework for this episode, but I think yes. it's all going to be great. There's, I have so much shit to talk to y'all about, um, but let's talk about the movie. And there's no better place to start than the cold open. Um <laughs> I want you all to know that uh, I found on the IMDb trivia that Paul Feig says that Zach Woods is, quote, literally the best improviser I've ever worked with across the board. And he was actually cast before any of the Ghostbusters were. (laughs) Which I just love. Like that opening scene, to me, that cold open was like, wow, they get Ghostbusters. Like they are do This felt like that felt like such a spiritual connection to the original Mm -hmm. for me like I loved I loved it with like the updated weird humor I just thought it was great
1: I totally agree with that I think like once we were when we were in the theater there felt to me it felt like there was a lot riding on it and I guess like this we're trying to talk I mean I don't know if we're trying to speak so much about like the very first time we saw it or rewatching it now but I remember in that moment being like there's so much riding on this and like that cold open to me it feels a lot like the librarian scene like it it had the same level of like humor but also like a little bit of like thrills and scares mm-hmm. that's a very hard balance to strike and i think especially like the first ghostbusters movies are so good and i think i just watched one of them recently over halloween with the boys and i nanny and they love the ghostbusters I forgot that you see Sigourney Weaver's tit. Oh <laughs> snap! You see her naked tit in the first Ghostbusters movie.
0: I did not remember that either.
1: Um,
2: <laughs> yeah, I think we're so used to seeing it on TV.
1: Exactly. exactly. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And I think the time. To- I think that the time too, as time has gone on, and because I when Ghostbusters first came out, it was not. Necessarily like marketed as a family film. Right. And I think as it has become something that kids also enjoy and get into, it's sort of morphed into that. And so I think that this movie in particular, being like an updated version, had a very difficult line to ride of like being faithful to the original Ghostbusters, which as I said, has a naked tit in it. And,
0: <laughs> and a ghost blowjob. Like, it's not and a, a ghost blowjob. Really ghost
2: blowjob. Everyone's constantly smoking. Yes!
0: Yeah. And then so now you have to update
1: it but also make it more palatable to that audience, to a family-friendly audience, but still maintain the spirit of the original Ghostbusters. And that opening cold open to me like I just remember looking I remember Sophie and I looking at each other and just being like here we fucking go like
0: we were so we were like right a hundred percent I mean I think that's a really good point Hannah because I read about that quite a bit in some of the different trivia and articles I read that they had a really hard time with various pieces of humor and and them being like oh you can't use xyz like that's not appropriate and Paul Feig was like Dan Aykroyd gets a blowjob from a ghost in the original movie. Like, I'm not doing anything as crazy as that, you know?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um so yeah, like, but yeah, that's we... exactly
1: what I mean. You know, it you could even say that there's a double standard. <laughs>
2: <laughs> it's it's yeah, not even really... It's not for for a change, it's not even just uh because this involved women. Like when they made the new bad news bears they had to, like, clean up so much of the dialogue. Like, they straight up have a child say the N-word in the original Bad News Bears.
1: Oh, shit. Oh, my God. I didn't know that.
2: <laughs> yeah, so the yeah. original the original Bad News Bears is PG and has that kind of stuff in it. And then the remake's PG-13 and is way cleaner. Like, he wasn't allowed to, uh, to like, he had to drink uh, non-alcoholic beer in the dugout because they said if he drank beer, he'd be a bad influence for kids. And they were like, he's supposed to be a bad influence for kids. It's Billy Bob Thornton.
1: This is a quote that I've said and we've brought up on this podcast before, but this harkens back to my favorite thing I've ever said when I was on Mushrooms and I said that was back when kids were men.
2: (laughs) Yeah.
0: I would be really curious to, I mean, listen, I'm going to go on the record now as saying I genuinely could not have less of a desire to watch the new Ghostbusters movie. If you choose to watch it, that's totally fine. We'll talk about, why I don't want to watch it later on but it would be interesting to know like whether that that movie faced the same challenge in like trying to thread that line of comedy like I would find that really interesting to see what they were and weren't able to get away with in that Well way.
1: I would guess that they kind of like skirted around that issue by choosing to have it be children instead of adults
0: I suppose that's true
2: Also like, I, I not think they
1: get as much of the same like I guess like sexual
2: yeah, yeah,
1: jokes
0: and things with kids.
2: I'm also just assuming they let Jason Reitman do whatever he wants because his dad's Ivan Reitman.
0: Right, exactly. Mm-hmm. Well, and speaking, this is a great, we don't have to skip this far ahead, but literally my next note, and it's very on par with the conversation we've been having is a joke that I still can't believe was allowed to be in the movie, but I'm so glad it was when they trick Aaron into listening to the EVP and it's just a fart. And then Kate McKinnon goes, "Would it make you feel better if I told you it was from the front?" Like, I can I remember that happening early in the movie and being like, "We have a queef joke." We're like not even 20 minutes into this movie and we're joking about queefs. Like, this is delightful. <laughs> That's
1: and I really wonder too about with our conversation right now and like the double standard of things like how to us that would feel like so funny and so inclusive and so like and then there'd be so many people that would be like oh my god there's a that references a vagina well and this how is many people know, okay.
0: how many people watched it and did not know what it meant? Oh
2: I'm sure. <laughs> just like,
0: I don't get it. <laughs> <laughs> um so I'll give a c I'll give a quick plot synopsis. If you haven't seen this, I think it's safe to say that we all enjoy it and And it's worth watching. I don't know that necessarily this conversation is going to spoil a whole lot. Like, I don't know that this is a movie where it matters a ton what happens as much as, like, the way the movie unfolds. Well, especially because
2: the the plot of this is... It's not, like, a traditional remake of Ghostbusters. But they do sort of go to all the same things. Like, they hang out with the mayor. They go to a big, big tall building that they have to, like, get into. So, I, I think even if you tell the plot, and even as we describe parts of the plot you know i'm I'm assuming the person listening to this has seen the original ghostbusters because for sure it's on tv right now just turn your tv to tbs and it'll be on
0: (laughs) and you won't see a tit probably (laughs) Um,
2: the t in tbs does not stand for titty
0: yeah (laughs) i mean i don't know we don't know what you're
1: doing we don't know who's sitting next to you you might still get a tit
0: (laughs) um But the overall plot of this movie, uh, we have a character named Erin Gilbert played by uh, Kristen Wiig, who's delightful. She's a professor at Columbia. She is trying to get tenure. Um, And and she discovers that a book that she wrote uh, in her past at some point uh, that she thought did not exist anymore has resurfaced. And it's all about ghosts. And she is really, really concerned about the way that that might impact her reputation and her chances for tenure. And so she hunts down her old friend, Abby Yates, played by Melissa McCarthy, who wrote this book with her. Now, Abby is working at a like a community college, a, a technical kind of school in new york. Uh, with another scientist named jillian holtzman uh our lord and savior played by yes. kate mckinnon yes 100% yes it's so to, like, all good. of their
1: names are names that could have been written as a man's name originally and then they just like altered it slightly
0: mm-hmm yeah <laughs> for sure um and so kristen wig really wants abby to take the book down abby doesn't want to uh, they end up going to a house together where Zach Wood saw a ghost uh, so that they can investigate and they see a ghost. Kristen Wiig, uh ends up losing her job, but these three women are like, you know what? Screw it. This is something that we believe in. No one has ever like given us any credence or believed in us. So we're going to prove this is real. They are then joined by Patty Tolan played by Leslie Jones, who is an MTA worker who knows a ton about the history of New York and sort of helps them understand historical relevance of a bunch of the different things that they're doing. Um, And the rest of the movie maps very closely to the original Ghostbusters where we have sort of spooky stuff happening all over. They seem to be connected. They're not sure how. It turns out that all of this spooky stuff is happening because a hotel maintenance worker named Rowan He just feels really upset, you know, because, like, he is handsome and he works hard and he's really smart and people don't appreciate him. Uh, He's really just, like, uh, shitty incel culture personified. He feels like, He is way smarter than everyone else and his suffering is way greater than everyone else and it's not fair. And he is trying to bring about the end of the world because that's the only thing that feels fair to them or to him. And so our Ghostbusters... And that's the end of our podcast. And that's that's the end. end. (laughs) Um, And our Ghostbusters have to...
2: it's It's so funny that they have this character that is pretty much a... Reaction to the backlash that hadn't even happened yet, like when they wrote right. when they wrote this character, it was before all the backlash. Because, like you said, there are scenes that you can tell they just inserted of them, like reading internet comments that were clearly filmed later.
0: Mm-hmm. Right, right. And but, and like, how on actually, the nose? Yeah. Well, and
1: this actor also, um, I I didn't actually, I'm not sure about the timeline of it, if it was before, after, or contemporary to this, but that actor actually played. For anybody who remembers that around this time last year, I became absolutely obsessed with the television show superstore
0: mm-hmm. um yes he's
1: in he's in an episode of that show where he plays a troll, like an online troll who keeps writing bad reviews of the store and <laughs> Glenn, Glenn keeps inviting him to try to like like improve his experience and then he just keeps writing like even meaner reviews. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah, and I I can't believe I almost forgot in laying out our big exciting main characters, we also have Chris Hemsworth who plays their receptionist Kevin, who <laughs> is just like a big dumb idiot. I'm sure we'll talk about. We will need to talk about Kevin. You will need to talk about Kevin.
2: So <laughs> we, oh Hem- my Hemsworth God. Hemsworth makes him like so much more endearing than like beautiful idiot is on paper though.
0: <laughs> Oh, a hundred percent. And apparently like he improvised a lot of the, uh, the stuff, like the thing, the, the whole bit about <laughs> at one point during his job interview, he asks if he can bring, he says, can I bring my cat to work? And Melissa McCarthy's like, I'm allergic to cats. And he goes, oh, it's not a cat. It's no, it's my dog. His name is Mike Hat." And they're like, you have a dog named Mike Hat? And he goes, well, it's Michael Hat, but he goes by Mike. (laughs) Melissa McCarthy's like, oh, I'm not allergic to dogs, so I guess that's fine. Apparently, Chris Hemsworth improv that entire thing. (laughs) Like, that was not scripted. Um, It was also his idea to wear the glasses with no lenses and, like, touch his eyes through his glasses. That was also Chris Hemsworth's idea.
1: I love
0: that. I love that so much. I know! Apparently, Apparently, he was like, super super nervous about acting like across from all these really talented uh, female improvisers and Paul Feig was like he fucking crushed it like he was so nervous and then he just like got into it and you know made up a bunch of really weird shit that was really good
2: so when I I saw the glasses it reminded me Rob Lowe used to actually do that back in the, like, I think early 90s when he was trying to, like, be taken seriously. He would wear glasses with no glass in them.
0: Oh my god. Oh my god. Just get the clear plastic, dude. They have something
2: for this. (laughs) Maybe he felt like that would be dishonest.
0: I'm, like, so
1: shocked by that. But also people who listen to this podcast who know us from childhood will know that there was a long number of years as a child that I wore glasses with no lenses in them. Yeah, but you were a
0: child. That's different. (laughs) You weren't a Hollywood actor who could have just bought clear glasses.
1: I wore a nude pair of Harry Potter, like circular Harry Potter glasses that were nude color and had no lenses in them that I found on a playground. (laughs)
0: Like every day. That checks out. Um... (laughs) okay so here's a, I, I have sort of sporadic notes so y'all can sort of like some of my stuff is bigger and thematic we can do towards the end let's sort of talk about some of the highlights of the movie itself um, my next note is I can't believe I never noticed how much the PKE meter looks exactly like a vagina
2: <laughs> oh wow like, I like not pick up on that
0: The fact that it looks like a vagina and that when a ghost is nearby, it like opens up. (laughs) It's great because we'll talk later about how I I read a really cool article. Um, As I said, I did a lot of homework for this episode. I will link to all of the articles in our show notes. But one of the articles I read was sort of about how this movie was especially interesting because like spiritualism as a movement was very female centric. Mm -hmm. And the idea that like Spiritualism was all about sort of like dealing with ghosts in a way that was like empathetic and restorative and that things like Ghostbusters, the original Ghostbusters uh, in the 80s, led to us being like, okay, now the way we deal with ghosts is like we trap them, we we expel them, you know, like and all these ghost hunter shows. So I really liked that the thing they used to sense ghosts was like this symbol of womanhood. And it was like by embracing their femininity that they could tell the ghosts were nearby. Like, that might be putting way too much into it, but I really liked it.
1: Um, this is a little off topic, but also for anybody who does not listen to the podcast Bitch Sesh. Um, even if you, it's a, it's about Real Housewives, so if you're not into that, I totally understand. But there was a segment. Are you familiar with the, either of you guys, are you familiar with the comedian Brian Safi?
0: Yes.
2: No. Um,
1: he's in, like, everything, so I'm sure you would recognize him if you saw him. Google um, him. In particular, he's in the new season of Search Party, and he was also in the new season of You. Um, but he was on an episode, and he tells a story about how somebody gave him as a gift, a gift card for um, from, like, the Ghostbusters or, like, the Pennsylvania Ghostbusters or something. <laughs> and somebody performed a ghostbusting of his home, but they did it all over Zoom, and it's one of the funniest stories I've ever heard in my life, and I highly recommend it. <laughs> that
0: sounds like the, awesome. And it's in, like,
1: the first 15 minutes of the episode.
0: Yeah, I will definitely be hunting that down. That sounds great. That's um, really funny. Well, here's... Let's take a second to talk about each of the characters, because we talk about, like, at least our four main uh, Ghostbusters and, and Kevin. Like, we've talked a little bit about Kevin. Let's talk about our Ghostbusters, because we've, we've said, you know, this is, like, an all-star. If you want ghostbusters if you are okay with the concept of ghostbusters that are women and you don't have a problem with that like you couldn't ask for a better cast these four women are so talented and mm-hmm. so funny um so let's just take a second to like give them their due uh, and we'll go in order of appearance so let's talk about erin and kristen wiggs performance as erin what did y'all think of her
1: Ooh, well, Thor, do you want to go first on this one?
2: Sure. Yeah. So, what's interesting is she's ostensibly the straight man in this movie, mm-hmm. and what I think is good is that Kristen Wiig, like, still has a lot of fun with the character. Yeah. You know, like, because she's kind of who we, you know, we enter the the world that Melissa McCarthy and Holtzman have already established through Aaron. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But then they're all doing goofy shit with each other. <laughs> and that, I think, like, if, if this had been a movie where they'd gotten, like, one non-comedic actress to play the Aaron role, I think it would have been a lot weaker. I think it's great having everyone be able to riff off each other.
0: Totally.
1: Yeah. I was going to say, too, because I think... So I'm, I'm glad that you went first because that's something I was, like, struggling to articulate is, like, it's... Kristen Wiig in a role that she doesn't normally play like often yeah. she's being like really goofy or very or very serious but not always like in a comedic film is she the straight man um, but I agree that then she's able to do a lot with that too like she still she still develops like a comedic persona from that from that as well like even just like cause a lot of it too of just like her being like clueless about like social interactions Mm -hmm. um is is in its in its own way very comedic by the way that she
0: plays it. Yeah, I totally agree. I love like I think this is really neat because I think he really allows Paul Feig really in the writing and in the directing really allows each of these character each of these actresses to like lean into the character and play with it. Like they all clearly have a lot of space um, and they're all talented enough to to know what to do with having some freedom to kind of play around. Like, for example, the scene where they're all celebrating and Kristen Wiig goes, like, on an extended dance sequence around the office. <laughs> uh, like, I just... I love... I just... I love all of... I love her physicality. I love getting to see her play a very different character than we're used to seeing her play. And apparently... When this movie came out, it was right around the time that she was sort of transitioning into more dramatic roles. Mm-hmm. And so apparently Paul Feig was like not even going to ask her because he figured she wouldn't be interested. She actually reached out to him and was like, "Can I please be in this movie even if it's a really small part? Like I really want to be in it." And I think that you can tell how excited she and all the other actresses are to be a part of this movie, which is mm-hmm. one of the things that makes it so endearing and so awesome.
1: I absolutely agree with that, and I think that that also kind of helps us, like, transition into talking about some of the other women, too, is you can really tell how much everybody showed up for this movie, mm-hmm. yeah. and I know we were going in order of appearance, of appearance originally, but also, like, I, when I think about that in particular, somebody who really, really showed up, besides, like, obviously, like, Kate McKinnon, who just, like, steals every single scene she's in...
0: Like, yeah, let's I'm, do her last, because I feel like we're going to have a lot to say that. Yeah, yeah. I
1: really, really feel like Leslie Jones, like, crushes it Yes,
0: let's talk about Leslie Jones.
1: Because I really felt like, I remember, like, watching it the first time, and then watching it again. Every time I watch it again, I just, like, feel even more so in that. But I feel like everybody is expecting her to be one way. Mm-hmm. And she was so not that. Like, it was great, like in in a lot of in a lot of scenes she's like the voice of reason and she's like yeah. the only person who's being rational and like she, in a lot of ways even though she's not like a scientist or an academic like she's she's a lot more aware of like of like how something like actually works in the world as opposed to like in a like a closed like lab setting or something
2: yeah, yeah. I, I think they do a much better job of integrating her into both, like, camaraderie with the characters and, like you said, giving her useful, useful things to, to observe uh-huh. versus Win- versus Winston in the original where he, you know, because it, apparently it was written for Eddie Murphy and then once he, uh, did it? They gave all his. They gave all the Eddie Murphy lines to Bill Murray. So um, poor uh, Winston in the original has like so little to do, and I yeah. think he's such a great character. And I'm so bummed, you know, that they don't use him more.
1: Yeah and, I, yeah, and I do think that they were aware of that, and that like, and that like Leslie Jones' whole character in so many ways is like such a driving force for like bringing everybody together, keeping everybody together. And like getting shit done.
0: I mean, she's ultimately the one that saves them. It's her idea that saves everybody at the end. She's right. the one who like she's always the one that like understands the history, knows the patterns, knows what they should be looking for. Um, you know, we I think we can't talk about Patty's character and Leslie Jones' performance without talking about both the racism in terms of the way that people responded to her. And I think the accusations that like she was being typecast, which um, I I read an interview with her because I knew that there had been a lot of uh, concern and some and some uproar around the release of this movie that that Patty's character was racist, that giving Leslie Jones this character was racist. And the first thing that she and Paul Feig were quick to say was that that role was written for Melissa McCarthy originally. Mm. Um, It wasn't written for Leslie Jones, but Paul Feig sort of felt like that's a very similar character to what Melissa's done in other movies. I would like to give her something a little bit different. Um, And in the interview, so uh, Leslie Jones was interviewed by The Guardian. I will put this in the notes. Um, And she starts by saying that she likes to think of herself and this character as like the representation of the audience. She's like everybody else, all the other Ghostbusters are scientists. I'm just like a regular person like you. I'm the person representing that like regular, like on the streets knowledge and awareness of your community is also super important and valuable. Um, and, yeah,
1: exactly. Yeah, and
0: she says, I have a, a quote. A lot of times wanna... she
1: bridges like the science part to be like, oh, I know how we could apply that in a real-world scenario.
0: Exactly. And I have a quote I want to read uh, real quick um, that she's sort of talking about. The woman asks her a question about how, um, you know, but don't you think that, you know, black people, black actors, are often getting put in roles like this, etc. cetera. And Leslie Jones' response is, I celebrate it. It's just like, does she not exist? Are you saying I don't exist? Why shouldn't she this character be in the movie? Why even look at it like that? Back in the day when I was coming up, the last page of Jet Magazine was a guide to all the times black people were going to be on TV because we were hardly on TV and we needed to see and support our people when we were. So my thing is my parents and grandparents would have been, Whoa, she's in a big movie, a superhero in a blockbuster. Why wouldn't you be dancing in the street? Um, and I think it's really interesting. That not only did she have to face like the backlash, like hateful racist commentary, but then even like well meaning people being like, the movie was good, but Leslie Jones' character was racist. Like, I think that really takes all of her agency away and diminishes what she's doing in this performance, which is really awesome.
2: And I feel like that's always like, I feel like because Leslie Jones like has the kind of like blunt, comedy that you normally only see with male comedians like like women comedians aren't allowed to talk like that. I feel mm-hmm. like people are like saying like, "Oh, she's being racist" because when she did her first uh ever on camera thing on SNL, oh, yeah. it was about like, you know, how she she would have better luck dating if it was the slave era and it was like super like um like cutting edge, but I I wouldn't say it was racist, but I saw so many like liberal think pieces about it and i'm like hey come on guys you should be happy that there is a black woman on snl a thing that never happens
1: yeah i think that's a really good point And and it reminds me too of like um it reminds me too of like i remember a couple of years ago uh when i think it was like maybe probably like 10 years ago at this point but when the mindy project had just come out and um, some magazine, I don't even remember anymore which magazine it was, but one of the more like commercial magazines put Mindy Kaling on the cover. And all these people were like responding to it by being like, this magazine is being so forward thinking by putting a full figured woman on the cover. And like, oh, that boy. was like, the whole story ar- around it. Mm-hmm. And Mindy Kaling did a really funny, but also very heartbreaking interview where she was like the kinds of comments i was getting on social media and like the kinds of things people were saying was basically like how nice of them to put that fat whale on the cover of that magazine like wasn't that a nice thing to do right and and um oh i i remember now sorry i remember more specifically now it was like they did multiple options like multiple they picked like 3 women and they had them each be on the cover, and then you could, like, collect them all or whatever. Mm-hmm. And the other two women's were, like, a, a full body, and Mindy Kaling's was just, uh, like, a headshot. And everybody oh. was basically saying, like, they did that to her because she's fat. <laughs> and she was, like, do you know how meaningful it was for me to be on the cover of a magazine? And and basically all I got was, like like, again, like, well-meaning people being, like... You did her dirty. You only did a headshot of her. And then Mindy Kaling was like, ironically, I chose that photo. Right. Like, she was like, I chose that photo because I liked it the best, and they let me pick. Right. And it's like that same thing of, like, people looked... When people heard that she was going to be on the cover, they already decided something in their mind of what that Mm -hmm. meant. Mm -hmm. And then, no matter what happened, they they went to that place and she's like even the people who are well meaning they're like they couldn't put her on the cover they put her on the cover but only her face because her body is so ugly she was like that's what I am hearing by this you know by this conversation right and I feel like that's the thing that happened with Leslie Jones in this movie too is that her I think people often like cast her as this like like loud boisterous like, like black woman stereotype
0: Mm -hmm. And then
1: in this movie, she's, in this movie, she's really not that, but she's still Leslie Jones, who is a very tall, very commanding black woman, and so they're still, like, putting that on her, even when she's not, even when she's doing a fantastic job in her role and not doing that. So it's just, like, really interesting. It's, like, people had, I think it's a lot like that, too, where it's, like, people had already decided before seeing the movie, what they thought it was going to be.
0: Right. Like people had decided she was a token before they saw it. And then it, even exactly. though she wasn't, they were like, yeah, but she's the only black person. So she is
1: exactly. And they didn't give her any credit for the work that she actually is doing in the film.
0: Yeah, for sure. For sure. I'm really glad that you picked her to talk about next. Cause that yeah. I had, yeah, I have a lot of thoughts about the way people reacted to her. Um, Let's I, I do about... want to real
2: quick, real oh, quick say that the um the one thing I will say is this movie did not have great marketing and Leslie mm-hmm. Jones came across the worst in it cuz the one scene they gave her was the like the the power of penny compels you and then she like slaps uh and like, sure. that that seems like some sort of stereotypical like you know like like Baptist like you know preacher mm-hmm. or something like it definitely um like I saw that scene and I was like uh oh and then I saw the movie and I was like no it actually w- works perfectly in the movie it just wasn't a good scene to take out
0: I think that. that's a totally fair compare comment for sure well and it's cool because like you said it works in the film like that scene where Melissa McCarthy gets possessed and Patty's trying to save her is so good like the, the, the shift to a horror vibe like it is yeah in a movie that is like fun and for families like that sequence is creepy and is shot really like it's tense. And, and I love, again, I love that the way that that, that little snippet that got like, you know, seen, I think out of context in the trailers and in the marketing is like so great because it's just like, again, it's Patty sort of like translating a thing that she's seen into her lived experience, you know? Yeah, like Yeah. Yeah. Like, trying to bridge these two worlds, which I think is great.
2: To, to go over to Melissa McCarthy, um, yeah. her in that scene, the, like, creepy smile she has. Mm-hmm. Like, if you had, like, a lesser comedian in that role, they would have had to do CGI to make the smile that creepy. But Melissa McCarthy's just perfect, like, acting. act. She's not quite acting like the the, the bellhop, but, or janitor, rather, but she's, like, just acting so different. It's great. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, I think Melissa McCarthy, and in this movie too, she also is somebody who also is often, like, she suffers from the same kind of thing that Leslie Leslie Jones does too, because she's a more, like, because she's a full-figured actress, where, because she was sort of typecast a lot in the beginning of her career, people don't often respond, they don't always respond well when she does something different. Mm-hmm. Because they're like, th- like they're just like that's not how they're used to seeing her. But then at the same time, they also complain that she plays the same thing in every movie. So it's like she's another person who I think gets a very gets very unfair treatment from audiences, where they're like they like shun her for doing the same thing and everything. But at the same time, when she tries something different, they're like, I don't know this. This doesn't make sense to me.
0: Yeah. And think- well, and oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, like, along that same line, I think that's a really good comparison to draw to Leslie Jones because I do think, like, there are a lot of people um, who I think, and, like, I don't say that, like, so I have definitely seen people react to her because Melissa McCarthy is such a talented physical comedian. Like, Mm -hmm. she is so funny and, like, has perfect timing. Like, her pratfalls are... Exquisite. The only uh, the only other person who I like to watch Pratt fall more is Thomas Middleditch,
2: (laughs) Um, (laughs) but like
0: she's so good, and I think because she is like fuller figured, fuller figured and heavier, and because she like is very comfortable doing like physical comedy and doing really over the top comedy. I feel like there are people who read like every character she plays is making fun of her for being fat. And I've never seen her play a character that is mocking her body. But I think that like the way that we have internalized like diet culture in this country and like thin culture in this country is like you see a woman who is like, a bigger woman doing this comedy and you feel triggered to think that we're, like, laughing at her because she's heavy. And, like, that's Mm -hmm. not why we're laughing. We're laughing because she's hilarious. And, like, you're not giving her the credit for the work she's doing if you're, like, oh, well, like, we're just making fun of her for being fat. You know? And, like... Mm -hmm. I hear that criticism with her a lot is like, she does the same thing every time. Every role she does is just like her being clumsy and fat. And I'm like, that's not actually what she does in any movie. <laughs> like, Yeah. So yeah, it's
1: like, that's what you're seeing. And that's, that's what like,
0: you're bringing to this yourself. Yeah,
1: exactly. I totally agree with that. And I think in this movie, like you said too, I didn't know what you said earlier about how, um, the role of Patty was for her originally. Mm-hmm. Um, but in this movie too, she is a she's a bit more of a straight man like Kristen yeah. Wiig is, and that that is different for her. And so that also makes more sense to me hearing that part of it as well. That that was like a conscious choice to have her do something yeah. a little different,
2: right? It's it's definitely different. Um, but like I think even more so than with Wig, she gets a lot of opportunities to just be funny and be really weird, mm-hmm. um, for sure. Yeah, because I, I gets
1: to be like like angry and bitchy a lot. Yeah. <laughs> which it does isn't like Melissa McCarthy doesn't really get to do that often cuz she's always yeah. like so sweet.
2: <laughs> That's very true. I um cuz I my my memories of this movie I I saw it, you know, in in theaters and then I um just just rewatched it cuz I I hardly ever rewatch movies, so I just rewatched it now for the first time and I was amazed at how I was like there's a lot of jokes from McCarthy which is something that I didn't remember. And I was, mm-hmm. I was pleasantly surprised. I remember really liking her in the movie, but as you said, I thought of her her and Kristen Wiig as much more of the, uh, you know, straight men characters. And then uh, the other two get to be the ones that have all the fun. But they definitely have a lot of scenes where, like, you know, Holtzman will start out saying something, and then uh, McCarthy will build on it. And I thought that was really clever. Like, mm-hmm. that like, mm-hmm. like, that. Holtzman's kind of her bad influence,
0: <laughs> yes, I love that idea. Well, and I really enjoy, speaking of the kind of funny stuff that Melissa McCarthy gets to do in this movie, the running gag, um, to, the two running, she gets two running gags in this movie that I love. The first one is her and Benny, the guy that brings her delivery, who like can <laughs> never get her soup right. like, And their dynamic is so funny. But also the sort of like the running bit of getting to watch Kristen Wig like fawn over Kevin And Melissa McCarthy just being, like, completely baffled by what's happening the whole time. Like, her, just the stuff that she does, like, just her face, if you're, like, watching her and not Aaron, is so funny. Um, She's just never not, you know, completely in the scene and doing really funny stuff, even when it's very subtle. Yeah. Yeah. Well,
1: I think, like, I don't know, and, and I guess, like, we can kind of get into this, too, with talking about Holtzman as well. It's not, like, explicit per se, but I do think, like, there's aspects of that and of, like, uh Holtzman's character and... What is Melissa McCarthy's name in the movie?
0: Abby. Abby. Wait, no. Isn't that... Oh. Melissa McCarthy's okay. Abby and Kristen Wiig is Aaron. Oh, okay. So, yeah, like, the...
2: I think you mean A. A Ron.
0: <laughs> A. A Ron, yeah. <laughs> the
1: thing between... The thing with, like, Abby and Holtzman, too, at times, to me, as a queer woman, reads a little that they are queer women who are possibly in a relationship together. And Uh so sometimes um, Melissa McCarthy's, like, her background acting in those scenes of, like, just being baffled by, like, being entranced by a a man who's just an idiot is like so funny to me too on another level of just being like i don't understand this this doesn't make sense to me
0: (laughs) yeah well hannah i'm so glad you brought that up that is a perfect way to transition into holtzman because a piece of trivia that you may not know is that holtzman being gay is a hundred percent a thing but sony would not allow it to be canon like so sony did not want that to be explicit
2: Mm. but paul
0: feig is very much like yeah i mean Kate is who she is and Holtzman is who, who she is and like for sure um, and yeah, like, like the way she gets like jealous with Abby and like she's very, like, literally protective. the first line she says in the movie is Aaron walks into the room and she goes come here often <laughs> like yeah she's so gay one of the one of the articles that we're gonna link in the show notes that ev- I, you should both read uh, is one from Otto Straddle called Kate McKinnon's 10 Gayest Ghostbusters gay moments of gay. Um, and it's really good and Hannah one of them is Number two stares with it fascination. Leave it to the gay one to be like, guys. I'm pretty sure this is pretty gay.
2: Yeah.
0: Uh, and number two, hey, you're
2: not the only gay one on this podcast. Oh,
0: true, 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 true. <laughs> number two on the list is stares with fascination every time Aaron flirts with Kevin, and then it says hashtag straight people. <laughs>
2: yeah,
1: yeah, that's exactly what I'm talking about.
0: Yeah, that's so funny. So let's talk yeah. about Holtzman. Like, let's talk about Kate McKinnon. Just. And I don't, I listen, we, I, I will speak for myself, but I think maybe for all of us, when I say we love all of the ghostbusters, but like Holtzman, I, I would die for this woman. Like I, I, everything about everything about Kate McKinnon's performance, everything about the way this character is written is so good. Um, I mean, obviously I have tattooed her on my body, so you can (laughs) say I'm a fan. Um, but let's talk about her a little bit. Can we talk about her costuming first? Because I yes. feel like that is a thing that we should talk about, speaking of her being queer, Hannah. <laughs> um, I should my- also
1: mention, too, that this is a great moment to just mention this quickly, mm-hmm. is that the boys that I used to nanny for many years... Oh, yeah. They love this movie. They love Ghostbusters in general, and they, they have always loved this one. They call it Ghostbusters Girls... <laughs> and they love it, and Holtzman is their favorite. And so last year, for and how Christmas, old are they?
0: Because I feel like that that's relevant to the story.
1: Um, they are like well, now they're five and four, and when they were like they've been into it pretty much since they were like two and three. Um, but last year, so they were three and four at that time. They had gotten like a Playmobil Firehouse Ghostbuster set, and so. Back, like, before this, they had gotten just, like, an Ecto-1 set, and it came with three Ghostbusters, but it came with, um, Bill Murray and Ernie Hudson, and then just, like, a girl one. But the girl one wasn't, like, from any of the movies, so they really didn't like that one, because they were like, this one's not a real Ghostbuster, and that would always bother me because I would be like, since what? Like, I was like, but what's that supposed to mean? But it's because, like, the other ones, like, had their names on them and were, like, actual characters. So when they got their um, when they got their big firehouse, I also brought them a bunch of old Playmobil toys from our, like, childhood home. And one of the things that I brought them was, like, um, uh, one of the things I had brought was just, like, a girl because they didn't have that many girl ones yet. Um, and so I didn't see them for a little while, and then the next time I had seen them, they took the hair, because it was blonde, off of the girl that I brought, and basically just like threw the, <laughs> threw the body away, like we that, but <laughs> they took the hair, they took the hair, and then they put it on the girl Ghostbusters body, and then they took like Egon's goggles, and put them on her, and they were like, we made you a Holtzman-
2: Oh Isn't that
1: the cutest thing?
2: That's so nice.
1: So, they also really love Holtzman. Like, they love that, they love the, they love this Ghostbusters movie in general, but they also, like, her in particular, they were just like, she is the best. But I think that's because that character and everything that Kate McKinnon brings to it is really like a personification of what people love about Ghostbusters. Yes. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Like she's like, raunchy in, in in a in a way she's, she's irresponsible. Irresponsible very scientific <laughs> like she loves I mean the moment with her licking the gun like she has all of those like action star moments like I mean she's great like she's everything she like really embodies Not that, and this, again, is not to say anything wrong about any other other women. I think we've also praised them all in this as well. But that whole thing with Cain McKinnon in that character and everything she does, she just, what's the thing that people say nowadays where they'll be like, she eats it. (laughs) She (laughs) eats it. Like the whole, you never heard that before?
2: (laughs) I've only heard that for being a bad thing.
1: Oh, was that a bad thing? I
0: thought that was a good thing. Are you talking like chewing scenery or what are you talking about? Or like- like
1: it. I thought that's She what, eats in, it like she
0: fell down? Like, I've only ever heard it like, yeah. I ate
1: it, no, like nowadays, I fell kids, down. Nowadays, kids will say, like, like he ate it. But, like, to say like, that that's, like, a good thing. Or I thought it was a well, good thing. Well, you are,
2: you are the youngest member of this podcast, Oh, my God. So I mean, you... makes me
1: feel so old. It's a good thing. It means, like, like you destroyed it. I believe
0: I it. Like say, like... It's like saying you crushed it, but, like, you ate it. If I could, if I could like lightly spoil a throwaway line from the new scream movie, this does not have anything to do with plot, but this, the new scream movie is definitely playing with like millennials versus Gen Z And there is a scene where a millennial character younger than me is trying to get people to leave a house party. And a Gen Z person walks into the room to get their friend and goes, some boring dad is making us go home. And I (laughs) couldn't stop laughing. I kept saying it all night. Like the idea that Gen Z thinks that we're old enough to be their parents. And I feel that. Like, I feel that. Oh my God, I almost died. That's how I felt that's how I felt just now when Hannah was trying to describe Eat It to us. Yeah. Dude, I gotta say, I have a couple, I,
1: I'm i working as a family therapist right now and I have a couple team clients and I'll be honest with you, sometimes when they're talking, I'm like, I have no idea what this means. <laughs> like, I,
2: don't know, I don't know. if this is good or bad. Like, I don't know what's
1: happening. <laughs> mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm like, I I don't know. And I'm just like, mm-hmm. Oh, totally. And I'm like, yeah. what the fuck? <laughs> I will say, one thing I noticed that's, that's nice is a ton of my of my teenage clients who are Gen Z, when they refer to friends of theirs, they refer to almost all of them as they, no matter what. Um, oh, that is nice. And I think that that's very interesting and, like, a very nice sign of the future. But then, like, yeah. two seconds later, they'll be, like... They, I don't know. They'll just be, like, using, like, words or things <laughs> that I, like, don't understand at all. And I'm just like, what? I'm sorry, <laughs> what? Also, yeah. I think it's really funny. I don't know if it's because they're young or because a lot of them are more from like affluent families but a lot of them have like so much freedom like they get to do so much stuff as teenagers but then they're like mad at their parents that it's not like more than that
2: oh my god and
1: i'm just like what like i have one client who's like mad that like her parents are like you can smoke weed because it's legal but just like not in the house (laughs) (laughs) and it's like she can't believe that.
0: <laughs> oh,
1: wow. Oh, wow. She's like, that's tyrannical. <laughs> um, and well, I'm, just like, I'm just like, what a different world to grow up in. <laughs>
0: yeah, no kidding. Um, well, returning to Kate McKinnon, I do want to talk a little bit more about her sexuality because, Hannah, I have to say that, like, I don't, I in no way do I want to take away your queer street cred, but, like, I love that I think her character is, like, coded as queer, like, very clearly and it's like another thing I love about this I mean we talked a little bit about how this movie is well I would say that more
1: in that I think Abby
0: is as well okay but like I really I really enjoy that this movie like clearly seems to go out of its way we talked at the beginning about how like their gender isn't really a part of it like
2: Mm
0: -hmm. um there's a longer there's an extended cut of this movie that I have because I own the um Blu-ray with the extended cut and I actually like the extended cut a lot less because it it adds in a, a boyfriend or like a partner for Kristen Wiig's character um, I really love that this movie like these are just like four independent women like we aren't talking about like relationships we don't have like none of that stuff Not that you can't have those things. It's just that we don't get to see women in media super often when we're not like talking about their boyfriend or their partner or their husband or their kids. Like I like I love that that is a non-issue here. And I love that they so clearly uh, code Holtzman as gay because, again, like we talk about the experience we had watching this movie and feeling really seen and I love that it feels like this movie made a very intentional choice to be like Ghostbusters: Women can be Ghostbusters, and they don't have to be straight. Like mm-hmm. everybody can be a Ghostbuster. Um, of course, well, every lots of people hated that about this movie, but like I, that's something that I think was very valuable about that. That, well, and choice. I think that's
1: kind of the point of it too. Is like it's like the thing isn't even just that like any woman can be a Ghostbuster. It's really like anybody. Like, mm-hmm. though, like the fact that the characters. The fact that they are women factors so little into a lot of what they do or into like their character itself is also very noted, like, is something worth noting because it just like that's like part of what makes it feel so good to watch. Is not that I don't love like things where it really like where it really captures like my feelings of being a woman or like takes the time to. Um, highlight a female experience, like I think all of that is also very valid and um, and and does a lot as well. But I think like seeing a movie like this, in its own way, like I've I don't I don't even know that I can think of too many other <gasps> films where the where the characters feel almost like genderless <laughs> mm-hmm. to this degree. Sure, and it doesn't yeah. affect. It's not a part of the story. It's sort right. of like. When you watch a movie where the characters are gay, but, like, nobody's, like, dying or it's making their life really tragic. Because, like, that's, like, so many movies about – movies and TV shows about queer people. It's, like, always having to be something really tragic and sad. Yeah. Sometimes it's nice to just, like, have a gay character where, like, the fact that they're gay does not define their character. And I feel like that's sort of the thing, too, with these characters is, like, the fact that they are women – is is there, but it's not the whole thing of their character. For
0: sure. Like, their gender and sexuality are both, like, a non-issue. And it doesn't mm-hmm. mean they're not important. Like, it doesn't take away that it's important for people watching to, to be represented in that way. But like you said, it doesn't have to be the only thing that defines them as characters um, exactly.
2: as the uh, the horniest member of the podcast um, <laughs> wow think- <laughs> you're just going
0: to decide that on your own not that yeah, yeah I feel like we could have a contest here but go ahead and <laughs> we're not going to fight you on it go ahead <laughs>
2: Um, I agree with you that 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 extended cut, which I actually didn't realize since I hadn't seen the movie in so long, was the extended cut until they got to the uh, the dance, the Bee Gees dance sequence, yeah. which I, I knew they cut because it's originally in the uh, the end credits. Um, right. So I uh, yeah, that extended cut with her, her having a relationship, it like doesn't add anything. Like I get they wanted to show that like you know, it's just another person being shitty to her and her not saying anything. But like, we get that from the Dean. Like we didn't really need that. And I agree with you, Hannah, that it's nice that we could interpret um, the breakup between her and Abby as being like (laughs) girlfriends breaking up, you know?
0: Yeah. So I feel like now we're going to get to the elephant in the room that we've been sort of uh, tiptoeing around, which is the sort of like the response to this movie. And before we get into the full-blown response, I just want to talk a little bit about Roman, because I think that's a really good way to transition us into the response people had, not even to the movie, just to the idea of it existing. Um, just to
2: women, to women being in things. Women for talking.
0: So sure. women. Um, women talking. <laughs> so well, I, one thing that I noticed, so Jeremy and I rewatched Ghostbusters on October 1st, because every year I try to watch... 31 horror movies in October. And this year we were with his parents at the beginning of the month. We were trying to think of things that like I would count as genre adjacent that his parents would be okay with. So we watched this movie, which all of us had already seen. um, And I had never noticed, and I had probably seen that movie at that point more than 10 times. I had never noticed that. So all of the original cast come back and play cameos. They are not playing their regular characters. This seems to exist in a different universe. They're playing different characters. Mm-hmm. But Bill Murray's character is this like really uh like affected, uh very conceited, like pompous specialist. And the way that he is set up, like he is a gatekeeper. He, his role in this movie is to legitimize them as actual Ghostbusters, which mm-hmm. is hilarious. Like the fact that the one of the, maybe the actor that people uh, associate the most with this franchise comes back to play a character that is just like incredibly performative in his privilege of getting to decide who is a real Ghostbuster, like who is really doing this for real. Um, And I think that is hysterical. And Um, and of
2: course we all know the only real Ghostbusters are the real Ghostbusters, the animated version, of,
0: yeah. <laughs> right? Exactly. Um, and so then we have Roman. His point that was a plot point and a and a character arc that had been written before the terrible responses that they got. Um, but we talked a little bit about the fact that you know, like he he feels he has this sort of um, very uh, like central thing that feels like Entitled. to me it, fe- it feels very incel yeah where he's like he thinks that he is unique in how valuable he is to society and unique in how much he is suffering and un- how unfair the world is to him like the number of times where he makes comments where it's like yeah well you've never had to like have people not listen to you and they're like uh <laughs>
1: actually
0: <laughs> women so yes um and I love, you know, Kate McKinnon makes a line at one point where she's like, "You hate to see the smart ones go bad," and they make a point of saying that like the the tools and the technology that he's using is not that different from theirs. He has read Abby and Aaron's book. Like he, they clearly started at the same point, and something in him made him go the way that he went, and something about them made them go the other way. Um, and unfortunately you know, Roman was not just a character, uh, in the movie. He was also just the response to the movie in general. So, uh, I wanted to talk a little bit about the fact that as I think everyone knows, uh, this movie broke a record for the most number of dislikes on any video that ever got on YouTube, the trailer for this broke a record. Um, everyone hated it and was incredibly mean to it. Um, and
1: just from the trailer,
0: not even from just from the trailer. The also, um, a ton of there was a ton of criticism after this movie to the way that men were portrayed. A lot of people, a lot of men, were angry that the only men in the movie are like stupid or ineffectual, um, or that they're like hostile or that they're not helpful. And my note: I'm going to link to an article called "In Praise of Paul Feig's Beautiful Male Idiots." Um <laughs> talking specifically about Kevin but sort of pointing out that he has a pattern in his movies of sort of oh, using
2: Jason Jason Statham in Spy in Spy
0: yeah and John Hamm in Bridesmaids like mm-hmm. Paul Feig loves to take like a hot uh Hollywood actor and just make them be like a real douche um but in my notes when it's like all these men complaining that the only men in the movie are like useless or hostile. I literally wrote in all caps. I wonder what that could feel like.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Um, Um, Yeah, yeah, no. And I, I do think that that's, um, that actually goes, this is a very uh, circuitous uh, way to explain this. But when um, Dan Savage started writing his uh, advice column, he made sure that, like, no more than 25% of it was gay advice because he wanted to, like, make mm. sure it had, like, broad appeal, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and he figured he'd get more, you know, read with a, with a hetero advice column written by a gay guy since that was sort of a unique niche. Um, and uh, he kept getting letters from people being like, why is your column all about gay sex? Gay sex everywhere. Gay sex. And he's like, it's literally no more. If there's four answers in there, it's only one of them.
0: <laughs> right, right. Yeah, again, it's like people decide what they what it's going to be before they see it and then they're like this is what it is and I'm angry about it. Like, Exactly. Yeah. They're like, this proves it. <laughs> there is a, a fact I read on IMDb is that before the project was a reboot um, Dan Aykroyd mentioned Eliza Dushku, Anna Ferris, and Alyssa Milano as potential Ghostbusters in a third movie. Um, they, let's see, they they also talked about Jennifer Lawrence and Rebel Wilson. So like Dan Aykroyd was on board for like women being part of a Ghostbusters franchise. I read an article that also said that Harold Ramis was very open to the idea of women being Ghostbusters. So again, it's like the idea that the people who well
1: they were made all in,
0: the media you love like like this idea, and you're and still like, yeah, but mean, not
1: Dan for Ackroyd me. Is in it?
0: Yeah, all, all the original cast in are it. in it. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. yeah, Harold well, Ramis is a statue.
1: <laughs> yeah, which honestly was kind of nice, but, um, but yeah, I also think like with, uh, and I guess we'll talk about this some too. With, um, Sophie and I had this sadistic appreciation for when the new Ghostbusters movie just that just came out, um, would get really bad reviews. <laughs> um, Sophie and I would get really excited, and at first we were sending them back and forth. <laughs> and then our dad w- posted one and sent them to both of us. And I, we were like, oh, welcome to the conversation. So then yeah. we started sharing them with our whole family. But in that, too, I had read an article just about the framing. Uh, so, we, And is this one that you included in your research for this for our podcast?
0: Uh, you have to tell me more about what you're going to say because I'm not oh. sure.
1: <laughs> well, it talked about the framing of the success versus failure of this movie, where like no, that's a very, great article though. That's a mm-hmm. really good article. I have to find it where it talks about how they actually both or the original or this Ghostbusters movie that we're talking about. I'll have to refine the article so we can link it. But it made either about the same or or a comparable amount, or it, it was either a comparable amount of money or a little bit more in the opening weekend than the new Ghostbusters. But every single article that was published about it was repeating over and over and over again that it was a failure. And that it that was it a was huge a, flop. That it was a huge flop. But then the new Ghostbusters movie came out and made about the same amount of money and all the articles were like, it's a success! So even in the way that the movie was released, it was also like framed very unfairly in that regard as well. Like right. And that was – and I think in a lot of ways that was used to only further this point that you guys are kind of touching on of being like, yeah, see, they're not real Ghostbusters. Like, saying that they, like, didn't have the blessing of the originals when all the living originals are in the movie. Um, They had – as you said, Sophie, they had spoken about this in the past as being an option that they were into and excited about. And then even when the movie came out and did, like – relatively well and it's opening weekend they framed it as like this is a failure and that obviously affected how many people would go see it after that too right so it was like the framing of the whole thing was like also just really like we've already decided what this is and what this is going to be and that's that
0: right exactly and i have a, a piece of uh i have a piece of trivia that i think is going to break i assume will break everyone's heart as much as it breaks Breaks mine uh, because I just discovered it while I was researching. But before that, I want to read a a quote from uh, Harold Ramis's daughter. Her name is Violet Ramis Steele. And she wrote an article over the summer in 2016 when this movie came out called On My Dad, Harold Ramis, and Passing the Ghostbusters Torch to a New Generation of Fans. Um, It's a really beautiful piece. We'll link to it in the show notes. And she sort of talks about having mixed feelings because she has a really strong emotional connection to Ghostbusters being the original Ghostbusters because that's her dad is is mm-hmm. one of the original Ghostbusters um and so I have this quote, she says, as much as I wanted to stomp my foot and align myself with the opposition, there was no way I could stand behind the viciousness and ugliness that seemed to fuel these fundamentalists. From flat out rejection of women as funny to remarks about the actor's looks to the invocation of Ghostbuster 84 as untouchable and disgust with reboot culture, Generally, I was shocked by the anger and outrage. Are these people for real, I wondered? Sure, the timing sucks, but damn. I mourn my dad's absence in this world as much, if not more, than anyone. But for people to say that he is rolling in his grave or would never have let a female-centered cast happen is insane. Resist the urge to hold on so tightly to the past that you choke off new life. I reserve my right as an almost 40-year-old to mutter about how everything was better when I was young. But let's let this generation have their own Ghostbusters. Let's give my nine-year-old daughter a chance to put on a proton pack and feel like a badass.
2: That's really and nice. And now
0: it's beautiful. And I will tell you a really sad statistic, which is that this movie in the summer of 2017 won favorite movie at the 2017 Kids' Choice Awards.
1: Aww. So, like...
0: Kids loved this movie like yeah. kids that are untainted by sexism and like monstrosity love yeah. this movie and like shitty sexist misogynist assholes like kept their own children from having a thing that they love because of that. Like, that makes me so sad.
1: <laughs> that could not be, a, like, that's probably one of the greatest examples, like, one of the most clear-cut examples of, like, this is why we can't have nice things that I've yeah. ever heard mm-hmm. in my life.
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah. Oh, yeah. and I, look, I looked it up, the uh, the 2016 Ghostbusters and the new movie, the 2016 Ghostbusters made about $3 million more in the total box office than the new movie, and you can be like, oh, it's COVID, but Spider-Man just made... Eight hundred million. So clearly, people (laughs) will show up if they want to. Um, Yep. Yeah. The one. The one difference is that it. uh, The Paul Rudd Ghostbusters has about half the budget. Um,
0: Yeah. Well, and that's the article Hannah talked about. Sort of mentions that like the budget is a big difference. But like with this new one, Sony had the benefit of being like, well, the last one didn't do so well, so let's not spend as much money. But like, yeah, it's it's obviously wasn't the fault of the women that it didn't make money.
2: (laughs) Yeah. No. And it was. It was a reasonable budget to have for what they were positioning it as, which was, like, a franchise starter action movie, you know? Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. They, they they didn't realize just quite how sexist the world is.
0: Yeah. Like, it, every time I watch this movie, I'm so gutted. Because they they very clearly set this movie up for a sequel. Yes. Um, and I would have watched, like, five to ten more of these. Like... There's just no, no universe in which I wouldn't keep watching these. And like, Mm -hmm. again, to to talk about the ways that this ties back to the original, I mean, you have just like in the original, you have a really strong connection to SNL. Like this movie is almost entirely cast with SNL, like writers and actors and hosts, just like the original one was. Um, So it just makes me really sad. I know that this movie exists in like a separate canon, um, But according to IMDb, there are some comic books in which the characters overlap. So I will need to find that comic book and read it.
2: (laughs) Yeah, that sounds fun. I'd read that.
0: Um, So I'll link to that too when I find it. One more thing before we sort of start to wrap up, which is that what did you all think of the soundtrack for this Ghostbusters? Uh, In particular, the different covers of the very, very famous Ghostbusters theme song.
1: Um, I will say briefly that this uh, soundtrack is again one of the boys. I nanny is one of their favorites.
0: Mm-hmm. They love it's it. It's very good.
1: They love all of the different versions of the Ghostbusters song. In particular, they love the. I think it's one that's like Get Ghost. <laughs> that's yes. One with, uh, that's one with ASAP Ferg and um, what's his face? The guy who plays a lot of guitars. Who's that white guy who plays a lot Jack of Jack White? No, oh Mark <laughs> Ronson. <laughs>
0: When you said that white guy, I thought you meant his name was white. No.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Though to be fair, Jack White is also a white guy.
1: He He is play a lot of guitars. Yeah, he does. I I will say that when in
2: fact he plays so many guitars. When I saw him live many years ago, he just had a guitar lying on stage, and he would turn the amp on and off so that it would play one note. And I was like, that's a good way to have a second guitarist without having to pay one.
0: Oh my god, that's amazing! Um, yeah, I love the version that has that's a Fall Out Boy and Missy Elliott. Love like, that. That was a dream come true for us. Uh, I'll,
2: I'll have to be the outlier here. Then I like I like that weirdo Fall Out Boy song that uses the monsters theme. But other than that, like Fall Out Boy songs always leave me cold. And like the same, like like this one didn't make me like angry or anything. I wasn't like, oh, you, you shouldn't cover the Ghostbusters theme. It just. Um, I didn't like it as much as, like, they had that other Ghostbusters theme at the end that had the female singer, and I really liked that one.
0: Yeah, that one's really good, too. Yeah, there's three different covers uh, in the movie and another one. There's two in the credits, I think. Uh, (laughs) Or maybe the other one's on the soundtrack. I don't remember. Um, Okay, so, and then obviously... I was also going to
1: say that the soundtrack to this movie introduced... Um, the older boy in The Boys Eye Nanny to DMX and he really really yes. loved yes yeah, he does yeah really yes. really loved that so I, I love that too
0: <laughs> yes I'm, I'm so happy about
1: that um, but yeah and like really again with saying that kids really like this they really really liked the soundtrack like they loved it all they even liked like the like DeBarge song
2: Oh, so good. (laughs) Sorry to debarge in. Um, Oh, and they could have used more DMX in the sequel if they had the dogs again, since all he does is rap about his
0: dogs. (laughs) Oh, it would have been so good, and we could have gotten, we could have gotten Zool, like, it, just everything about it would have been great. Um... Just a real quick aside, I think all of us know, but just a reminder in case anybody wasn't aware, that when Jason Reitman announced that he was going to do the new one after saying for his entire life that he would never touch Ghostbusters, he said that he was going to hand the movie back to the fans, to which I say, fuck you! (laughs) Um,
2: Yeah. Also, let's bear in mind that Jason Reitman has... Made what, like one good movie? Maybe I mean the dude made Labor Day, and they still let him make movies because Ivan Reitman's his dad. I yeah. know, just like what a what a tool. Um,
0: yeah. And again,
1: it, that we Sophie and I sent each other so many back and forth, so many, and one of them was literally like. Uh, Saying that the new Ghostbusters was an ode to nepotism. (laughs) Uh,
0: One of my favorite tweets. One of my favorite tweets I saw when the new Ghostbusters came out was somebody had found the tweet where Ivan Reitman like was quoted saying that he would never touch Ghostbusters because that was his dad's thing, and then the person like quote tweeted it and was like. the lengths that straight white men will go to avoid just going to therapy.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, do you remember also Jason Reitman said um, that he was, he was such a douche about it. Like he goes, he goes, yeah, you know, like I was a little kid on set of that movie. So I was the original Ghostbusters fan before any of you Ugh. all. And it's like, dude, get over yourself. Like yeah. we get Fuck it. Up. We get it. Your dad's famous. <laughs>
0: yeah we get it your dad
2: made your dad made evolution
0: if whoa i did (laughs) not know that that's hilarious um another movie that scared me as a child so anyway
1: (laughs) get out of me as a child oh my god i used to have to lay in bed at night and literally like calm myself down by thinking about what i would do if there was a bug underneath my skin because of that movie
0: (laughs) (laughs) um well, and in case you are worried that, like, the, the shittiness, like, ended at Jason Reitman, you'd be wrong, because a piece of news came out a couple weeks ago that Sony announced that they were releasing in February a box set called the Ghostbusters Ultimately, Ultimate Collection, and uh, guess what, guys? It doesn't include the 2016 Ghostbusters. I'm shocked. Paul Feig went at them on Twitter, so they were like, "Oh, whoops! Like that was our mistake. We'll make it available for digital download, but we already made the box cop that like we already made the physical version, so we can't add it there."
2: Jesus Christ. Yeah. Sorry. So we just forgot. let erase it, it I think from history. Too, is
1: that like Sony really didn't do anything. To support the movie when it came no. out like no they didn't do anything like once they like they just as much as everybody else is to blame for like deciding what it was going to be before it came out and then just yeah they
0: gave way. up on it before they released it
1: absolutely a hundred thousand percent they yeah did.
2: and i yeah. know that was something that amy pascal um i mean she didn't like go out and say it but if you read between the lines she was the producer of this and she was the head of sony at the time and they made her step down cuz this didn't do well and i remember her you know kind of being like well you know we made a good movie you know like what else do you want you know mm-hmm. right
0: right so i'm going to tell you mom, guys a little have bit about this to add? mom just walked in <laughs>
1: <laughs> mom come and say something into the mic Whoops. come speak into the microphone right here Say something about how I'm your favorite daughter.
0: Oh my god. <laughs> Trying to get me in trouble. <laughs> but she can't can she can't hear us, can she? No. Tell
1: her she's doing That's great. A great point. Mom, Sophie just said that was terrible.
2: Oh my god.
1: <laughs> what? No. Oh my god, Sophie, stop. I'm not gonna Sophie, no.
0: H- Hannah, no let your mother go sit down so that we no, can finish I'm not the podcast. Gonna...
1: Mom, Sophie said it's okay. She knows I'm your favorite. Oh, my God. She said she doesn't like you that much either, so it's fine.
0: (laughs) Hannah, focus up. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Our poor mom. Okay.
1: Sophie, this woman gave us life. Stop talking about her like that.
0: Oh, my God, Hannah. (laughs) Okay, so... I want to tell you guys about this really awesome article. I'm going to link to it in the show notes. It's called The Spiritualist Origins of the Ghostbusters. Um, are either of you... Are, I'm assuming that both of you are somewhat familiar with spiritualism, but I, I suppose that might be not true.
2: Like early, early 1900s yes. uh, religion, particularly popular with women.
0: Yes. yes. Yes, I'm
1: familiar with it from listening to like true crime podcasts where they talked about like the girls who faked the seances and stuff. The Fox sisters.
0: Mm-hmm. Um Hannah, I definitely thought you were going to say, yes, I'm familiar with it from listening to Thor explain it. <laughs> <laughs>
2: from just
1: now, um, when he explained it beautifully.
0: <laughs> yeah. So the thing about... So as Thor pointed out, like, spiritualism was a very female-centric movement. Um, and it celebrated the aspects of femininity that culture at the time had really pathologized, like nervousness and erratic behavior and sort of uncontrolled outbursts. And... S- women having sexuality, all of these things outside of spiritualism had sort of been categorized as symptoms of hysteria that needed to be treated. You know, these women were sick, whereas spiritualism sort of said like, this means that they, this is what makes them able to commune with spirits and gives them this extra sort of sensory ability that is really valuable to us. Um, So a really quick quote, it says, despite the involvement and support of influential men, spiritualism remained primarily the work of women and coincided with the first major feminist movement in the U S by focusing on direct personal revelation, spiritualism obviated the need for a hierarchical, patriarchal church structure. structure, And as such, drew political radicals to its course, foremost among them women's rights advocates. So this was sort of happening at the same time that the women's suffrage movement was happening and women were sort of gaining more voice and agency and spiritualism really helped in that. Um, And so this article, which came out around the time that the movie was released in 2016, talks about the way that the original Ghostbusters movie, aside from maybe not being the most child friendly movie, is super sexist. Um, like, I don't I didn't remember this at all. But um, in the original, when the librarian sees a ghost, they ask her if she's on her period um, <sighs> when they're investigating it. Um, and there's all there's lots Yikes. of other great stuff like uh, like Bill Murray trying to hit on an underage student and all kinds of other like creepy uh Stuff that doesn't age well. We'll just put it like that. Um, And so this article points out that, like, the original movie treats it like men who see ghosts are scientists. So they do it in, like, a rational way. But, like, women are hysterical. So when women see ghosts, we need to, like, doubt them or ask them why it's happening to them. Um, And so they talk about the way that, unlike the original Ghostbusters, which is, like, these guys trying to make a living this Ghostbusters movie is really about these women trying to prove themselves and like make people take them seriously. And so I will let us close on this, which is a quote from the article where she said for fanboys, the real problem with the new Ghostbusters is precisely that the film shows women spending time together, pursuing their passions and interests with little regard for what men have to say. Which is really what makes the movie so perfect. Which is
1: what makes this a horror
2: movie. (laughs) 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 Fitting for this
0: podcast. (laughs) For a certain for a certain segment of the population, that's definitely true.
2: Oh my god, that's so funny. Um Um, I I do wanna say this is related to nothing, but I forgot to bring it up when we were talking about Kate McKinnon. No, perfect. Um, I was
0: just about to ask if we missed anything, so go.
2: Yeah, um, so I went to see what she said on Seth Myers when she was promoting this movie. And um, her and Seth know each other, so they mostly just like talked to nonsense for a lot of it. I mean, it was it was uh-huh. very funny, but it wasn't it wasn't about this movie. Um, but then at the very end, she talks about how they were doing the the press junket. And then she just, like, slaps her ass to, like, indicate press junket, um, which was great in and of itself. Um, And then she goes, and uh, they kept asking me if I'd ever seen a ghost. So I kept telling this story about when I stuck a... uh, stick in a pipe and the stick disappeared it's a great on lunch in uh grade school and she said she didn't say who it was but she said one of the other actresses was in the room one time after she'd been telling the story all day and she went up to her afterwards and she was like you gotta stop telling that story that's so stupid it was probably a rat or a squirrel <laughs> but, i love that yeah but uh Uh, Kate McKinnon had been saying how the whole time she'd been saying it like really serious and like thinking she was like giving these, you know, reporters chills. And then like whoever it was, like Melissa McCarthy was like, that's really stupid.
0: (laughs) That's adorable. Um, Yeah, I mean, there's so much we can talk about with this movie. Um, If we missed anything, I want you all to touch on it. I also would love, I didn't ask you guys this ahead of time, so I know I'm kind of putting you on the spot, but... Um, my my
1: just woke up from a nap and they're coming in hot, so just... Okay,
0: well, if there's, like, a sleeper gag in this movie that you really like, you know, there's some that, like, are great and they get quoted a lot, but, like, if there's a a joke in this movie that, like, really tickles you that you think people underappreciate, I would love to hear it.
1: Um, I can't remember if it's... Which is it? I really, really love with, um... Um... Oh, also I realized we didn't talk about Michael Kenneth Williams at all in this movie.
0: Oh God, he and he and Matt Walsh are really good. Uh, really but yeah. good. Um, yeah. Suffice the... to say they're stupendous. We also didn't talk about Cecily Strong or Andy Garcia. Like, true. People, are, yeah. people in this movie are very. Oh, good. So many good That was
2: cameos. that was, was something I liked um, much better this time. Was I felt like Cecily Strong was kind of overacting, and then in rewatching it this time, I was like, oh. She's supposed to be PR. She's supposed to be, like, mm-hmm. way too worried about yeah. this. Yeah.
0: Way too much, yeah.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, whichever is the... I can't remember if it's he covers his eyes or his ears. Oh,
0: it's his eyes.
1: His eyes. When something's too loud and he covers his eyes. Is that what yeah. it is? I just yes. think that's so funny. <laughs>
0: It is. It's really it's so good. It's stupid, but it's so
2: good. <laughs> yeah. And this
0: is Chris Hemsworth, for anyone that doesn't remember yeah. it or doesn't I know it's
2: it's such a good so gag. So much. Um He's I, like
0: ah
2: I have I had to look it up, but I have um my my favorite like sleeper gag. Because yes. like it happens so fast. It's the scene where they're talking about the uh the town of uh uh in montana that went missing and uh yes and then like you know the the skin on the inside of their body is like pretty a pretty big gag and then uh and then she just says uh uh mccarthy says but they're okay right and then the mayor goes sure and then holtzman just real real in a real holtzman manner that i won't be able to intimidate just goes i think they're dead
0: I thought you were going to say the part where he goes a whole town in Montana disappears and Holtzman goes do they?
2: (laughs) (laughs) Oh I forgot about that that's good too
0: (laughs) (laughs) and my favorite which my fiance and I quote to each other on a weekly basis is (laughs) Kristen Wiig has figured out what's that this huge big cataclysmic event is going to happen. And she's trying so hard to warn the mayor because there's a subplot in this movie where like the mayor and his staff are totally aware that ghosty stuff is real and that the ghostbusters are helping, but they are like, if people find out there will be mass hysteria. So we have to keep pretending that you guys are complete frauds and like throwing you under the bus, but thank you for your help. And so, Kristen Wiig runs into this fancy restaurant. She's like in her pajamas. She keeps trying to open all the big, like huge bay windows. And Cecily Strong's like, she thinks they're doors. She thinks they're all doors. <laughs> but the joke that kills me is, Kristen Wiig is like, you have to do something. Like, don't be like the mayor from Jaws. And Andy Garcia as the mayor gets so angry. And he goes, never compare me to the mayor from Jaws. Yes. Never.
2: Yes.
0: Jeremy and I quote that all the time. All the time. It's so funny to me. (laughs) Anyway, that's exactly what Sophie
1: would love. That was a Sophie joke that hits her right to the core.
0: Never compare. It's also funny that he doesn't say the mayor from Jaws. He says, never compare me to the Jaws mayor, which is such a weird way to say it. (laughs) Yes. Even better. It's very precise writing. It is. Well, folks, we've gone real long, so let's go ahead and uh, rate this movie. Uh, We do a highly scientific, very, very specialized scale of one to ten Bloody Marys, and I will say that I'm currently doing a dry January, so I would sure love to drink even just one Bloody Mary, Um, but alas, I can have none. Uh, So Thor, as a guest, we'll let you go first. Uh, Out of five, I think I said ten, but it's out of five, (laughs) five Bloody Marys. How many Bloody Don't Marys? Don't let that sway
1: you, but Sophie's basically saying you could do out of 10 for this film if you
2: want. <laughs> yeah, I was about to how, say. I think 10,
0: 10 out of 5. Um, yeah, I think I'm... I Bloody think Marys? You
2: stole my joke, but I think I'm going to do 10 out of 5.
0: Yes. Ah, I yes. love it. 10 out of 5, and they all have double shots of vodka.
2: Exactly, yeah. And one of those, one of those, uh, like, Coronas sitting in it upside down that you sometimes see in drinks and you wonder if that yes. could possibly taste good.
0: Because it's all about family. <laughs> Sorry, Jeremy and I are going to start introducing one of our couple friends to the Fast and Furious franchise tomorrow morning, so I've got it on the brain.
2: No, that's amazing. Um,
0: (laughs) Hannah, how about you? Um, I'm going to follow
1: suit with Thorne, give it 10 out of 5. But I'm going to go for Bloody Marias, because I can't drink Bloody Marias anymore because tomatoes hurt my tummy.
0: But if it were up to me, I'd be drinking them with tequila. I love it. And I will also be giving it ten out of five because there's no way in hell I'm giving it less. Um, (laughs) This movie, this movie is the absolute best. This movie is ten Bloody Marys out of five at your best Bloody Mary bar. Like these are ten of the best Bloody Marys you've had, and they're twice as many as you should get. Yes,
2: yes.
0: (laughs) They all come with a slider and a mini grilled cheese. Like live your best life. Yeah, I would give this movie ten out of five buckets of wonton soup that are just wontons. I'm
2: <laughs> <laughs> just asking for a reasonable ratio. <laughs>
0: um. Anyway, we usually end. I with really do like that
1: is such a wait? What what Thor just said is such a great note to end on too with this movie of like people being people being so mad about all oh, of the yeah. things and feminism and women trying to do anything. Just Melissa McCarthy being like, I'm really just asking for a reasonable ratio.
2: (laughs) (laughs)
0: Just let me live.
2: Um, Fair.
0: So we usually end with inladier news. And this week, uh, Thor has some hot, hot inladier news to share. And Hannah has not heard this yet. So we're going to get to hear her reaction live on air.
2: That is exciting. (laughs) So
0: you better be quick because my cat is like
1: really coming in hot right now.
2: (laughs) That's okay. Uh, This will be very fast. Okay, so, Hannah, you know what's on quarters? What? Do you know what is printed on quarters?
1: (laughs) (laughs) I was like, do you mean like the metal? Or like like the man? Yes. George Washington?
2: Well, he's still going to be there, but fuck him. Because now on the backs of quarters, we're going to have Maya Angelou, Sally Ride, Wilma Mankiller, Nina, Octario Warren, and Anime Wong.
0: No way! Replacing the eagle, but only for a limited time.
2: Yeah, starting what? this, starting this year, <laughs> starting this year. Um, it was part of the Collectible Coin Redesign Act of 2020, but they're not—they're not—they're not just collectible coins. They're actual coins you can use. I don't know how many of these they'll make. I don't know if you can just go to the bank no and get them. Way. But, uh, yeah, very exciting. And the uh, American Women Quarters feature a new portrait of George Washington done by a woman.
0: Really? Well, that's cool. Wow. When Danny told this to me, he was like, yeah, they're going to, sorry, Thor, we're going to cut that out. When Thor told this to me, he was like, "Yeah, they're gonna put women on quarters," and I was like, "Oh!" And he's like, "But don't worry, they're not replacing George Washington, and it's only gonna be for a limited time." And I'm like, "Of course." (laughs) Here you go, ladies. We gave you something. If that is not the new slogan of this podcast, I don't know what is. <laughs> that can be, Very I mean, true. we still need to, we still need to make our cupcake t-shirts, but that can be our next t-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> We're just looking for a reasonable ratio. Um, <laughs> it is exciting. Uh, this is going to be the beginning of me proposing. I told this to Thor at the beginning that I think we should just redesign all of our money every 50 years so that we can like get rid of people that are problematic and honor new people. And maybe like, let's just do women for the next 50 to 100 years okay yeah Bye. I think I just let's just keep
1: up with the you remember those Sacagawea coins yeah the those dollar coins coins are way better because they're a whole ass dollar and I think we should just keep just
0: reprinting those by adding more and more women I mean they also did dollar coins with Susan B. Anthony what uh, so I never he- got one of that bitch Yeah, I know this because uh, at the prison where I visit my clients, you can't take paper money down to the visit floor. You can only take coins. And so they have those change makers upstairs that'll make, you know, coins for you out of your five, tens, twenties. And one machine does quarters, which is way too many quarters. The other machine does dollar coins. So I always have a ton of dollar coins, but I just keep them in my prison visit bag. So
1: this is the part of the podcast where Sophie brags about how rich she is. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. Yes, I'm taking five dollars worth of dollar coins into a prison.
1: Quit. I mean, I'm confused. You one i
2: I'm I'm confused why the bills are the problem because it seems if you have enough dollar coins, you can just put them in a sock and like beat someone with them.
0: Yeah, my guess is that they are concerned that the paper money would be easier to hide and that you might have soaked it in something that the that someone could ingest or smoke.
2: Oh, okay. My Man. guess
1: would also be that coin money is probably harder to accumulate or people don't have it on them as much and it's just a way of capitalism keeping people down.
2: Fair. <laughs>
0: So, but just to be fair, Thor, there are so many rules at the prison that I just like, literally recently I've been doing this job for five years. I was at a different prison. We were with a coworker. We were going to try to see a witness on a case that's not one of our clients. It's not a prison we've been to before. And we were reading the visit rules and some prisons allow food visits. And obviously if they allow you to bring food in, they're going to like put it through a metal detector. They're going to like hand search it. There's a lot of rules about how you can package it. Um, and one of the rules is that you can't bring in any fruit, like no fruit, no jello, a bunch of stuff like that. And I was like, I couldn't figure out why. And I asked my coworker and it, she was, I don't think she meant to, but she made me feel real dumb. She goes, oh, cause you could ferment it. I was like, oh,
2: oh, okay.
0: I was like, I've been doing this job long enough that I could have thought of that, but sure didn't. It's not how my brain works.
2: That's okay. Exactly. I mean, I you know I forget that being drunk while in prison is frowned upon.
0: Yeah, oh God. Yeah, the thing about prisons are the number of concerns that you'd have to have are so weird and obscure that if people heard me describe the rules and they were like, oh yeah, because this. I'd be like, okay, so you've had experience with prison. People like don't figure that out on their own.
2: Yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> so anyway, we have gone on a real journey. Thank you all for hanging with us. I know this is a long episode, but... It's very, very valuable. Uh, this movie is delightful. It never got the amount of love that it should have. So I hope that if you loved this movie, it was you know healing and, and helpful for you to hear this. And if you haven't seen it, hopefully it'll encourage you to go see it. Um, Thor, thank you so much for joining us. I would love for you to plug your show and maybe um, talk about a special thing that Hannah and I did with you for your show.
2: So on Thor's, we talk about movies kind of like this Ghostbusters that... Don't have as much love as they deserve, and we want to talk about them to reevaluate them. Often, it's one that only one person on the podcast has heard of, like the shock treatment film that was a sequel to Rocky Horror Picture Show. What? Um, and uh, yeah, so there's a sequel to Rocky Horror Picture Show. No one's heard of it, um, and one of the people on the podcast really likes it, so we had us all watch it. We all liked it to varying degrees, and some in that some of us hated it. <laughs> um, and. I, uh, it, it's got one really good song in it, though. Like, it almost justifies the whole movie. It's got this song called Little Black Dress. Um, so, this was not a plug for the movie Shock Treatment. This is a plug for Thor's <laughs> Hour of Thunder. Um, Some,
0: you, you also cover such wonderful movies as Wes Craven's Cursed. Uh, so so, met so much so that you covered it twice. Yes! on both. <laughs> yes!
2: Oh, my God, yes. Definitely listen to those. Sophie's great on those. Um... <laughs> So uh, Into the Grizzly Maze is another uh, underappreciated film.
0: Oh, boy. I think it's appreciated exactly as much as it should be.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, like I said, we don't always follow our own rules. (laughs) But um, what's coming up that Sophie was alluding to is we did a recording of the original script for Labyrinth. And this is currently being edited by our editor McFly, who is very generously going through all of our nonsense and making it into Labyrinth, Um, but it should come out in about a month, so just you know, subscribe to Thor's Hour of Thunder now, and then in February you'll get a nice little surprise and you'll be like, oh, cool it says Sophie's in this one, I'll actually listen to it you and excuse me, to it's not just—it's
0: it. a great pod.
2: Thank you. And excuse me, it's not just Sophie; it's also Hannah. I completely forgot because I'm. Don't
1: you mean? Uh, I don't remember what name you called me by accident. <laughs> Heather. Heather. Heather.
2: I will never live that down. I'm surprised At least it it's wasn't just now Shannon. coming
0: up. Thor was confusing you with Heather Langenkamp, which is honestly a huge compliment. That's true.
1: I've been called Shannon and Rachel an awful lot in my life.
2: Rachel. What? That's weird.
0: Rachel, I've
1: gotten the most. I why, How do you
0: get any of these more than once? I don't understand.
1: Um, I've gotten, honestly, I've gotten Rachel, like, a lot from a lot of different people. It's very strange.
2: Have you That's considered true. changing your name?
1: <laughs> <laughs> there was one uh, one guy in college where, like, every time he would see me without glasses he would call me Hannah, but when he would see me with my glasses on, he would call me Rachel every time.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> and I would be like, I would love what to know what's going on fuck? in his head. Yeah. <laughs> and then That's I saw great. the new version of Guess Who that exists now, which has a lot more of an inclusive, uh, like, little people in it, and um, one of them is a is a brunette woman with glasses and you guessed it. Her name is Rachel.
2: <laughs> that's where your name came from. Oh my God.
0: Well, I think that about does it for us this week. Thor, thank you again for joining us. Thank you everybody for listening. Hannah, do you have anything you want to tell the people before they, uh, skedaddle on out of here? Um,
1: I think I would say listen to Thor's podcast. Oh, um, be healthy and safe, and careful out there. Um, all we're asking for is a reasonable ratio. <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> and, you said uh, that with such confidence.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, and of course, always pee after sex. <laughs> <laughs> Clean. <Clink! laughs>
0: scream pod squad